into the Word of God. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. Speaking of our native ministry, we got another response in the mail yesterday from Mountain Village. And that's a blessing. We just sent those out not that long ago. And Brother Wilson knows a few, a couple few people in Mountain Village as well. And we're just going to pray that the Lord opens a door there for us. We have a handful that are in different uh, stages of doing Bible studies. So keep praying. Amen. And we're going to pray this afternoon after we're done preaching here. We've got all of our the work we did yesterday is here and we'll put it up on the platform again. And like we always do, uh, have all of you come up front and we'll just pray together over these mail outs that the Lord would use them. Okay. And we'll do that right away after we're done preaching. Also, there needs to be choir practice this afternoon as well. We'll get ready for our conference in the middle of March. All right. First Kings chapter 19, look at verse one. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die. And said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake bacon on the coals and a cruise of water at his head, and he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drank and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after a fire, a still small voice. And it was so, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. And behold, there came a voice again and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because... The children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. 
and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshi shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat and Abimelehola shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me seven thousand in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. Elijah was one who really burst on the scene in the nation of Israel. Dynamic character. He was God's mighty prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel. Elijah came at a time when the nation of Israel was at its lowest point spiritually. In 1 Kings 16, in verse 30, the Bible says that Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. And it came to pass as if he had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove. And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. And so Elijah comes on the scene at a time when the nation of Israel was really at its lowest point spiritually. Again, Ahab is the king who, under the wicked influence of his wife Jezebel, ends up leading Israel into deep pagan Baal worship. Elijah comes on the scene, and Elijah is a fearless preacher. He stands up to Ahab in chapter 18 and verse 1, it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. In chapter 17 and verse 1, Elijah, who is the, uh, Elijah the Tishbite, who was the, of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Elijah was a fearless preacher doing what God told him to do. He was sort of he was the John the Baptist of the Old Testament. You can look in look in Luke chapter 1 in verse 17. The point really is this that Elijah confronted Ahab face to face. Evil and wickedness face to face. He took on the prophets of Baal single-handedly in chapter 18. And the result was that Elijah saw Many mighty things happen under the power of God in his ministry. For example, we know again in chapter 17 and verse 1 that he prayed to stop the rain from coming. We find in chapter 17 that that Elijah was miraculously fed by ravens. God said the ravens are going to feed you by the brook. In chapter 17, we saw that God provided for him through a widow and her son, God provided for the widow too. We see also in chapter 17 that the widow's son dies and Elijah raises the widow's son from the dead. In chapter 18, we see when Elijah took on the prophets of Baal that he prayed fire 
down from heaven. He prayed for it to rain again after three years of drought. Elijah saw so many mighty things happen under the power of God in his ministry. And here's an application that I want to make, because when we come into chapter 19, it's a completely different look. It's a completely different story that's being told. And many times, friends, after spiritual victory or after times of of spiritual high or spiritual ease, often there come spiritual valleys. Mountaintop experiences with the Lord in our life can easily be followed by dark valleys that we walk through. We see Elijah with this dramatic victory in chapter 18. Total and complete dramatic victory to coming into chapter 19 as the man of God who is now running from an angry woman. The very next verses, after we read the end of of, of chapter 18, and by the way, last week we were in chapter 18, and we were looking at the obedience of Elijah and the faith of Elijah. In chapter 18 and verse 1 and 2, we saw that the Lord told Elijah to go stand before Ahab and I will send rain upon the earth. And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab, and there was a sore famine in Samaria. And remember how we talked about Elijah was the reason for that sore famine. In Ahab's eyes, Elijah was hated because he was the one who caused it. And yet the Lord said, go stand in front of him. And he obeyed the Lord. You imagine the faith of Elijah. And then on Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal in chapter 18, and at the end of chapter 18 in verses 45 and 46, notice it. And it came to pass, in verse 44, and it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, Behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And he said, Go up, say unto Ahab, Prepare thy chariot, and get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. That is the very end of chapter 18. Verse 1 of chapter 19, Ahab tells Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had slain the prophets with the sword. In verse 2, Jezebel sends a messenger to Elijah and says, I'm going to make your life just like the life of one of those by this time tomorrow. And verse 3 says, when he saw that, he arose and went for his life. What a dramatic difference. What a difference in attitude from from the end of chapter 18 to the very first verses of chapter 19, and we find him running from an angry woman. In verse 4, we find him sitting under a tree, wishing that he would die. What a transformation. What a change in attitude. And yet, Elijah's experiences are all too often the same exact experiences of Christian people as well. The Christian who gets his eyes off the Lord does exactly the same thing. And James 5 and verse 17 says, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. 
Are there times when you want to quit? Are there times when you want to just kind of give up? I know there are times when I want to quit because I can't bear these burdens. And you know what? That's right. I can't. I can't bear them. But the Lord can. And we can learn some things from Elijah's example here. And I want to talk to you this afternoon for just a few minutes about Elijah and his discouragement. And the first principle that I want to draw out of this passage for us that we can take away here is this. Living for Christ is a daily matter. Living for Christ is a daily matter. At the end of chapter 18, Elijah is strong. Elijah's got the power of God. The hand of the Lord is on him, the Bible says in verse 46. He sees these great victories. And then you get right into chapter 19, and all of a sudden, he's a changed man who's running for his life. And the principle is that living for Christ is a daily matter. One minute he's experiencing amazing victory, and the next minute he's discouraged and he's wishing to die. It seems like Elijah's a bit unstable, that he's kind of back and forth, that he's kind of up and down. Have you ever been there? A little unstable? Back and forth, up and down. I think we've all been there. And the principle is that living for Christ is a daily matter. You know what? There are sometimes when people like to live in the past, too. The good old days. The good old days of life. The good old days of ministry. But listen, you can't live on past blessings and past victories. Living in the past brings rottenness today. You remember the nation of Israel in Exodus chapter 16 when, when God was telling, providing for them with manna and God told them, this is what's going to happen. The manna is going to come. And every single day, you need to go out and you need to gather just as much as you need for your tent and for your family. And they went and did that. And Omer for every man, every man in his tent. And, and God said, you take just what you need and you'll use what you need and don't leave any for tomorrow. And so they did that. And some took more than others. Some had little, some had a lot. But it was only according to their house. And everybody did what they were supposed to do in that regard. And those who took a lot, there was nothing left over. Those who took a little for their family, there was nothing left over. Except for some. Some did not hearken unto the word of the Lord. And what they did was they gathered more than what they actually needed. And they were going to save it for tomorrow. And in the morning, when they woke up, the Bible says it bred worms and it stank. It was rotten. They couldn't use it. And the principle was simply that God was going to provide for you, and He'll provide for you today, and you don't worry about tomorrow. You trust Him with tomorrow. When tomorrow comes, you trust Him again with that. And the day after that, you trust Him again with that. Because he's going to provide. Because his mercies are new every morning. And his faithfulness is great. And sometimes people want to live in the past. And they want to live on past victories. Elijah was kind of in this situation here where Elijah's past victories didn't do him any good for today. His Mount Carmel victory 
What a great display of God's power that was. But the very next day, he's got a pathetic exit, and he's running for his life. Why? Because he was having a pity party for himself, and yesterday's blessing didn't do him any good today. The point is this. Living in past accomplishments or victories makes us very ineffective for today. Because living for Christ has got to be a daily matter. The strength that I glean for today has got to be something God gives me today. And understand this, Christian, because after a victory like the nation of Israel had in Jericho, there came an AI after that. And that's the way it is in the Christian life. We can have spiritual blessing. We can have times of ease. But tomorrow could be a dark valley. And if our eyes are not on the Lord continually today, we're going to find that we don't have the strength that we need. The first principle is that living for Christ is a daily matter. God's going to provide today. I need to trust Him for today. Amen? And trust Him for the tomorrows. Here's the second principle. Go back and look at verse 3. The second principle is this, that Elijah's problem was a personal problem. Verse 3 says that when he saw that, he saw what? That Jezebel sent a messenger and said, I'm going to take your life, just like you did the prophets of Baal. When he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. Elijah's problem was actually a personal problem. Ahab told Jezebel what he had done, and Jezebel threatened Elijah's life. And some would say, well, Elijah's problem was Jezebel. But you know what? Elijah's problem wasn't actually Jezebel. Elijah's problem was twofold. First of all, Elijah's problem was that he was looking at the circumstances instead of at the Lord. Notice the very first phrase, when he saw that. What was he looking at? He was looking at the threat. He was looking at the circumstance. In the immediate circumstance, when he saw that, instead of looking at what God can do, instead of looking at, man, I've experienced the hand of the Lord before, and I'm not to fear what men can do unto me, but fear the Lord. I'm the servant of the Lord. I'm just doing what God told me to do. He's provided for me before. He'll provide for me again today. But instead, he looked at the circumstance. And you know what? When we leave God and His power out of the picture of something, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. We look at the circumstance and he says, man, this is impossible. This is something that's an impossible situation. And you know what it is? It looks like it is. But that doesn't mean anything to the power of God. And we leave God's power out of the picture and we're in trouble because now we're scrambling to trying to find a way out or trying to find an answer or a solution. And our solutions are never, ever, ever sufficient. But God's always are. You remember Peter, 
In Matthew chapter 14, when he saw Jesus walking on the water and he said, Lord, if it's you, bid me come. Wow, what a request. What a request of faith. Are you going to walk on some water? Who's ever done that before? Lord, if it's you, bid me come. And I wonder if Peter was like, I don't think he'll bid me to come. (laughs) I don't know. Probably not. But Jesus says, all right, Peter, come on. Peter jumps out of the boat and he starts walking on the water. And the Bible says that the moment he took his eyes off of Jesus Christ and started looking at the waves, immediately he sunk. Immediately he sunk. Are you with me? Are you following me here? We've got to learn to keep our eyes on the Lord in every situation. It's not like he doesn't know what's going on. It's not like he doesn't have a solution and an answer for it. The problem is that I'm just not trusting him and looking to him for the answer right now in this moment. Sometimes, sometimes, let me tell you this, it is moment by moment. It is every five minutes, let me tell you sometimes. What do I do? I don't know what to do. But I know the Lord's going to do something. I'm going to trust the Lord with this. Oh no, what am I going to do? I don't know what to do. Are you with me? We've got to keep our eyes on the Lord all the time. Elijah's problem was that he got his eyes off of the Lord and he started looking at the problem, the circumstance. Hebrews 12, once, is looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Amen? Looking unto Jesus. The second problem, and again, Elijah's problem was a personal one. Jezebel wasn't the real problem. The problem was that he was looking at the circumstance instead of the Lord. The second one is that his focus was all on himself. Elijah's focus was all on himself. Look at verse 10. Verse 10, and he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Lord, I've done everything that you wanted me to do. I've done everything that you said to do. Lord, I've just done, I'm just trying to do what you want. And don't you see that they're going to try to kill me, Lord? Do I deserve this? I didn't ask for it. How many times have we said that? I know I've said that a lot of times lately. I didn't ask for this. And my focus is all on myself. In verse 4, remember verse 4? He's sitting under a tree and he's wishing that himself could die. Notice what he says. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. He stopped. Notice this. The Bible says that he requested for himself. 
He stopped interceding for other people and started requesting for himself. Who was Elijah? He was the prophet of the Lord. He was the prophet of the Lord for the nation of Israel. He says, I, Lord, I've done what you wanted me to do for the nation of Israel. He stopped interceding for other people and started requesting for himself. He had forgotten that he was the prophet of God to Israel, and now his full attention was on himself. His thoughts were only on what he would be losing. That one sort of hit me like a ton of bricks. Because here's the truth. When we become so self-focused about what we feel and how it affects me and how it affects us, that it do- like what, what I am going through dominates my thinking, I'm in trouble spiritually. When I get to the place where everything is about me and my feelings, I need a spiritual checkup. Even the prayer becomes dominated by self. Lord, help me with this. Lord, give me that. Lord, would you do this? And I'm asking you to do this, but my motive is because I want to have or feel a certain thing. So I'm saying, Lord, would you do this? But my motive is because I want to feel something or I want to have something. Rather than, Lord, if you would do this, would you be glorified in it? Lord, would you do that because it's for your glory? Whatever it is, Lord, that brings glory to you, you do that. His focus was on the circumstance. His focus was on himself. And that led Elijah to adopting this kind of an attitude. That life is hopeless. There is no hope. Lord, just take away my life. Elijah said, in effect, I have had it, and I quit. That's not where the Lord wants us to be. That's not where the Lord wants me to be. In those times when I can't bear the burden, and it's time for me to just hang it up and go do something else. The problem is not the circumstances. The problem is me. And my attitude that is not trusting in the Lord. I'm just going to leave this place. I'm just going to move. I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to do something else. Well, maybe if that's what the Lord's telling you to do. But it better be because the Lord's telling you to do it, not because you're just looking at all these circumstances out here and I quit. I'm out. Right? Elijah's problem was personal. But I also want to point out to you this. Elijah's God was also personal. 
Because look at verse 5. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights. Elijah's God was also personal. Now, what did Elijah deserve at this point? He was having a pity party. He was all about himself. He was down in the dumps. He was discouraged. What did Elijah really deserve from the Lord in this situation? I mean, sometimes we deal with people like, man, you know what? What you need is a good kick in the pants. That's what you need. Suck it up. Let's go. Stop being a big baby. But that's not how the Lord responded to him. That's not how the Lord dealt with him. The Lord's first act in dealing with his prophet was actually care and not rebuke. And you know what? Thank the Lord for his mercy and for his understanding. Amen? The Lord was gracious to Elijah. And I'm sort of inclined to believe that the Lord was gracious to Elijah because he understood his physical condition. He's a man. He's a human. I imagine that Elijah was probably physically exhausted. Elijah just ran a long way prior to this in the rain. Maybe think of the physical exertion that Elijah would have had on Mount Carmel with the fight against the prophets of Baal. How many did he slay? Right? Not only would he have been physically exhausted, but he probably was emotionally exhausted. He was probably emotionally drained from ministry and constantly giving. I think the Lord understood all that. And we might look at Elijah and we'd be like, come on, man. Come on, man. That's what Joe Biden would say. <laughs> all these things that I just mentioned here, all of those are very real human conditions that can certainly affect the way a person responds in stressful situations. It's true. But in reality, none of those things are actually good excuses. Because the Lord's promises are even more real than our emotions and our exhaustion and our feelings. If we'll just take hold of them. If we'll just take hold of them. 1 Peter 5, 7, God says, casting all your care upon Him. All of it. Why? Because He careth for you. Hebrews chapter 13. Turn over there. Hebrews chapter 13. In verse 5. Hebrews 13, 5. 
Hebrews 13.5 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. The Lord is my helper. I can boldly say that because he promised me already that he would never leave me nor forsake me. This also led the Lord to asking Elijah a very personal and searching question. He cares for Elijah physically, but then you get to verse 9. If you go back in our text, you look at verse 9. And the Bible says he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? That one kind of hit me, but like a ton of bricks too. Because the truth is, and the thought is, that this spot, this place that Elijah is, is not really the place where the Lord wants him to be. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here in this place of discouragement? This is not where I want you to be. What doest thou here, Elijah? He didn't want him in this place of discouragement. He didn't want him in this place of defeat, this attitude. And listen, friend, when we get our eyes off the Lord and onto circumstance and onto self, it leads us to where God does not want us to be. To be where the Lord doesn't want us to be, whether that's physically, emotionally, spiritually, is always a dangerous place to be. But I'm so glad that the Lord was gentle with Elijah. And I'm so glad that He's gentle with me in my times of discouragement because God is a good God. He's a gracious God. He's slow to anger. The Lord led Elijah to find the solutions to his problem. That were personal problems. But thank the personal God. Amen. Now notice back in our text that Elijah's solution was also personal. Look at verse 11. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after a fire, a still small voice. And I want you to look at verse 18. The Lord says here, Yet have I left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. Elijah's solution was also personal. The Lord did a few things for Elijah that helped him get back on track and get his eyes back on the Lord. The first thing is that we find that the Lord took him to Horeb. In verse 8, he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. Verse 11 says, and he said, go forth 
and stand upon the mount before the Lord. He took up the Horeb. You know where that was? Sinai. And it's the place of revelation. It's the place of revelation. This is exactly where God's people need to be. Back in a place of revelation where God reveals something to us. God shows us something, especially in times of discouragement, friend. We need to get back into a place where God can speak to us and show us something. How does the Lord show us something? How does the Lord speak to us? Through His Word. This is how the Lord speaks to us. Through His Word and through His Spirit. A place where God can speak to us. You know, the problems come. We're looking at the circumstances. We're looking at the problems. We're like, Lord, you got to show me something. Lord, you got to show me something. Lord, you got to tell me what to do. And what I'm not doing the whole time is opening this up and saying, Lord, now show me something that gives me an answer. I'm looking for some sort of feeling. I'm looking for some sort of voice from the sky. When God's already given me everything that pertains to life and godliness, this is where I need to go. And the Lord will speak to me. Especially in times of discouragement. This book is so... I was looking it up. I was just looking it up. All the different places in the Psalms where the Lord deals with the psalmist regarding discouragement and all of the promises of God that directly relate to his care for his people it's astounding there's no reason to be in a place of despair or discouragement the Lord took him back to a place of revelation but then he gave him a fresh vision or revelation of himself in verse 11, we saw how God said to go stand before him. And what happened? A great strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. What kind of wind was that? It could break rocks. Powerful. But the Lord wasn't in that. In verse 12, or after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord wasn't in that. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord wasn't in that. You can imagine the power of God. I wonder if that display would have had an effect on Elijah. Sort of like, look, I can send some wind that's so strong enough that can break rocks. I can shake the earth. I can bring fire. Do you think that somebody like a puny little Jezebel can actually hurt you if I don't have something to say about it? Right? And here we are, overwhelmed by these circumstances. It's impossible. This is an impossible situation. There's no way out. And oh, if this doesn't happen, it's the end of the world and life is over. All about me. All about what I feel. You think those are a problem for God? They're not. 
the second part of verse 12. The Lord wasn't in any of those things. And after the fire, a still small voice. Man, what a display of the fact that God works in ways that only He chooses. He doesn't have to do it how we want Him to do it. He doesn't have to show it how we want Him to show it. He can do whatever He wants when He wants to do it. He's a God who works as He chooses, not how we choose. Because there's certain things that I want to see. Certain things that I want to feel. Certain things that, in my estimation, are going to bring some certainty and some comfort into my life. Right? So I got it all planned out in my mind. This is how I, I want God to do something. He doesn't work that way. How He chooses and when he chooses, and we need to be okay with that. But then the Lord also reminded him that he was not alone. He gave him a fresh vision and revelation of himself, but then he reminded Elijah that he wasn't alone. Verse 18, the Lord says, Hey, Elijah, I know things and I see things that you don't know and that you don't see. And I've left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which has not kissed him. I know things that you don't know. Elijah, your pity party that you're the only one. And they're going to take your life too. None of that was true. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5. Just a couple verses of Scripture, and I'll be done here. 1 Peter chapter 5. Look at verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist, steadfast in the faith. Note this. Knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. You know what? You're not the only one. We all go through stuff. I'm not the only one. We all go through the same things. And we have a job to do. We should be sober. We should be vigilant. We should. Why? Because the devil wants to destroy. We can resist in the power of God. And we can also know, you know what, I'm not the only one who goes through troubles and trials. But often that's how we think. Woe is me, right? 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. We're not the only ones. Our situation's not unique. Our situation's not impossible with the Lord, whatever it is. The, the answer is still the same. Get your eyes on the Lord. Living in discouragement is not the Lord's will. Living in defeat, even in the middle of a bunch of problems, is not the Lord's will. In fact, James 1 says, Brethren, 
Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. That, those words mean being surrounded by adverse experience. Brethren, count it all joy. That's far different than discouragement and defeat. And the reason you can count it joy is knowing, knowing that the trial of your faith worketh patience. God's got something spiritually good in store. Living in discouragement is not the Lord's will. He's given us the solution for the times that we find ourselves discouraged. The solution is the same as Elijah's. Stop looking at the circumstance. Stop looking at self. Get your eyes back on the Lord and simply trust in Him for today. For today. You overwhelmed by life? Take it back to the Lord. Our own strength will fail us every time. Living a life that is ruled by self, living a life that is ruled by feelings, it's always going to end in disorder. Always. So let's live a life, amen, that's based on trust in the Lord for today. Because he's always good. And he's always sufficient. And let's be joyful. Let's not be discouraged. Amen. You're welcome. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'd use the word of God today to encourage and to challenge us. To live above the circumstance. To live above the plane of discouragement and defeat. Lord, to live above the trials because we know that the trying of faith works patience, that it's spiritual good. Lord, to live above the plane of thinking of self. And I just think of Elijah who stopped interceding for others and started requesting for himself. What, what a thought. to remind us, to help us to get our eyes off of ourselves, and how selfish we can easily, easily be. And Lord, I pray that you'd grow us in our faith to learn to trust you for today, and it's sufficient for today. And when tomorrow comes, we'll be able to trust you again, because your mercies are new every morning. Your faithfulness is great. Thank you for these reminders in my own life. And the truth is I can't bear burdens. I'm not capable. But you are. And all I need to do is cast my care on you. This simple yet so profound, practical principles for living. And Lord, I pray that we would apply them. In Jesus' name, amen.